We all love watching hockey, but wouldn't you love the chance to win some money while watching it? If you'd like a chance at winning thousands of dollars every week, sign up for a DraftKings account using promo code THPN. Again, that's promo code THPN. Welcome to the Future Sickos Podcast with your hosts, Brennan Detzler and Derek Lee. And today's special guest, a senior writer at The Athletic and co-host of The Athletic NHL Podcast, Ian Mendez. What is up, Future Sickos listeners? Welcome to episode 19. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and Derek Lee. And we have a bit of a legend around the Ottawa Sanders community. So well, I don't even think I need to introduce you, but welcome to the show, Ian Mendez. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, I only came on because it's uh, episode 19 and everyone knows I'm the biggest Jason Spezza guy, right? <laughs> we do know. We also know that uh, there was a, a minute there where we were a little worried that you might have been rooting for the Leafs because of Jason Spezza. So, oh, we're we going back down that road again, are we're, we? We're, why not? <laughs> we're one minute in. Let's let's just bring up. You know what else we, we got to bring up is how great you are, how poised you are in all sorts of situations. And I think, uh, well, I know I definitely have a clip of it, but. I, I think my favorite thing is how poised you are even after getting hit by a baseball oh. and being able to jump back <laughs> in and, and be in your poised self. And I think the best part was that you continue to talk about an injury uh, or you're giving an injury update and you just held it together. So uh, hopefully we could roll that clip and then I just want to get your rendition of that. I, you know what? I'm telling you, I, I, that, that was in the 2012 world series. So I'm closing in on a decade of riding that and people thinking that I'm like tough and poised i'm neither of those things uh just ask my family they'd be like uh tough no and my wife would be like poised under pressure and uh, no so <laughs> i love that the world thinks that that's what i am but like in reality my my family would be like yeah that guy's the least tough person we know and when things get really uh ratcheted up pressure wise yeah that guy melts that guy melts down <laughs> It's amazing. And like, what, so what happened after that fact? Did you have to get stretchered off or were you, were you limping off the field or did you just kind of get, get an ice cream cone or something for your pain? Did the so, producer get you anything? No. Like the funny thing is, and so again, that was the 2012 world series. I'm in San Francisco and I'm Great on the, city. you know, I think the first base foul line doing this hit. I still to this day have no idea where that ball came from. Like, nobody knows it came flying in like there was nobody on the field I, I think they were done infield I don't know where this ball came from and it hit me right on the uh uh ankle bone so like the again I don't know the you know the medical term of uh of it but like the bone that like sticks out from your ankle <laughs> that sounds very medical it's an ankle uh, bone so, yeah it's an ankle bone and it just it it was shocking like I it was almost like if somebody took like a you know, a little hammer and just hit you on the ankle. Or I think we've all done this. We've all walked uh, into a table, right? Or like into your the, the corner of your bed and you've hit your ankle or your shin and you're like, oh my God. Well, that's exactly what happened. And I didn't expect it. And I was on live TV. That's the only difference. Like, it's just, it's no different than when you, you hit your foot or something on a coffee table. Uh, and I just had, literally the producer was in my ear. He's like, uh, Ian, you got five seconds here. And I'm like, okay, okay. Okay, let's go. And it was funny, and you know, it uh, it was one of those things that in the early part of like YouTube and like uh, social media, it was one of the first things that kind of I think went viral for uh, for Sportsnet back in the day. Hey, you got that? Wally had this European man hitting on him. I guess to each their own. Everyone everyone's call to fame is a little different, but yeah, at least you're known for something. And I also like the humble brag that you threw in there about it, it hitting a spot that that's a bit of a pressure point because we all know what that's like when you when you hit it against your bed. But hey, yeah. I'm I'm just I'm happy that you got a call to fame in in, in some area. And you absolutely killed it when you came back. Now, with that being said, we we've heard a lot even recently. Our our last guest we had, I'm not sure if you heard of this guy but james doothy was on the show some some guy yeah, james um, doothy. and he was saying yeah like so he was going on we, we were trying to dig up some dirt on you he was saying that you're as clean as a whistle that, that you work with all this integrity 
And now I'm just, uh, I'm wondering how, first of all, how you blackmailed him because there, there must be something there, but I'm also curious if, uh, if you have any other memorable or funny stories regarding James that you'd be interested in sharing with our listeners. Well, now if he came on and called me an upstanding individual, I can't come on your, on your, yes, you can. Uh, on the future sickles <laughs> podcast here and start, uh, ripping Duffy. No, you know what? And I think Duffy, because he went to Carlton and I think he was about, maybe six years ahead of me, seven, like somewhere in that ballpark. Like he's, you know, a few years older than me. Uh, I'll say it's five years, whatever. But I think we've always had that connection. I think anybody that there's a handful of us that have been to Carleton, been through the journalism school, and we're all kind of, you know, you all kind of look out for each other in the industry. Uh, Sean McIndoe, who's my, uh, you know, one of my good friends, people probably know him better as Down Goes Brown. Uh, you know, we went to, to Carlton together. Mark Masters is a Carlton guy. So there's a whole bunch of us that are kind of like, yeah, like we're, you know, um, kind of always look out for each other. So I think that's probably James using the Carlton shield to, to stick out for it. But he is like the James Duffy that you saw on that podcast or experienced on your podcast is the James Duffy. That is him. Like he doesn't, there's no act. There's no phoniness. There's not, when the light comes on, he's one way. And then the light comes off. He's lighting up producers and ripping people. And you better, where's my green M&Ms in the, you know, how you hear these stories of uh, these people that are, uh, you know, so high strung that they need certain things in, uh, in certain spots. That's not James. And I think that to me is always the, the hallmark of, like, I always say to people, like, you can climb to the top of this industry and be a good human being. Just look at James Duffy. Like you don't have to be this sort of backstabbing, conniving, evil person to get to the top. And James is the best, best example of, uh, of that. Wow. That, that couldn't have been nicer, Ian. We'll, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to mention that to him. Uh, now, now Brennan, I'm not sure if you've heard the news, but uh, Ian's actually giving himself away completely. Um, apparently the winner of the athletic hockey pool is going to get to be you, Ian. I I'm not sure how you plan on pulling this off yet, but, uh, any advice for the lucky winner? You make one typo on, you know what? And I thought about deleting this tweet. So just to let your listeners in on this tweet, I, you know, we're, we're fortunate. I appreciate the, the, the crossover plug here for our show, but we're running a, 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 a fantasy draft with our, uh, athletic hockey show. Uh, podcast and we're inviting our listeners in. and I stupidly tweeted out hey uh, you know join our office pools uh, fantasy hockey draft uh, see if you can be me Haley Salvian whatever and I meant to say see if you can beat me but I whatever reason I wrote be me and then I put out the tweet and then these people were writing back like uh, and I'm like okay you know what sometimes you just got to own the L take the L and don't delete because how many times you go to Twitter and there's some spicy comments. You go to look, you go up the chain. You're like, this tweet has been deleted by the author. You're like, wow, what did he say? <laughs> what happened? Did somebody get a screen grab? And I'm like, you know what? Let's just live with this one. Uh, I wish there's times I wish Twitter had the edit function. I don't know if you, how you feel about that. Um, I've talked to people at Twitter before and they say that they don't want ever to use the edit feature, that they feel like it is a real time experience. And if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. And so I get it, but I just thought oh, I'll leave it up there. And, and I'm glad some people had some fun with it, man. I, I could totally relate. Like uh, the other day I was live tweeting the hockey game and I made a huge error and everyone let me know it. And I said, Alex Formanton is so good at stretching the D. Unfortunately, I didn't finish the word and say defense. So oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did the same thing. Ian. I, I just, <laughs> you know what? Sometimes you got to wear it. Like you said, you just got to wear your mistakes. So I, I just let people have fun with it, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a shameful one. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I made a huge mistake too, and I did delete the tweet. Opening scrimmage of the uh, the preseason this year, uh, I'm sitting up in the Ken Warren of Post Media and I were the only ones up in the press box, and and in the in the stoppage in play, they changed go, and I even said to Ken, "Look, I said." Uh, Philip Gustafson is out and whoever they put, uh, I don't know, whatever happened. I was like, hey, just an FYI, Gustafson's out of the net. What I failed to realize is that Mad Sogard on the other end also replaced Matt Murray. So within two minutes of the replacement, bang, bang, there was a couple, I think Brandstrom scored and maybe Josh Brown, like right off the hop, bang, bang. So I tweet out, wow, two quick goals against Matt Murray. And I just get <laughs> eviscerated, like, because the game was on a live stream. And I'm like, oh, no. And like somebody very prominent with the Ottawa Senators sent me a text. They're like, uh, 
that's Mad Sogard. I'm like, oh. Like, he's only like I'm six like, foot nine, so he's probably pretty easy to miss. Uh, I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> like, honestly, like that. I'm like, ah, oh, it's preseason for me too. Ha ha. Like, it just, yeah. It, there's no excusing it though, right? Like, that was just a terrible, terrible mistake. So I, I'm a big believer. In, like, we all make mistakes. And I did delete that tweet, but I, I did come back later and be like, oh, I made a mistake. It's preseason. I try not to hide. Like, we all make mistakes. It's okay. We have typos. We have stuff. Just don't run for it. I think people appreciate it more when you, at the very least, lean into your mistakes. And I think most people are forgiving if, you were, if you're not making a mistake out of, like, malice. or so, If you're just making a mistake because you just had the clumsy fingers. or People like that. They're like, hey, that guy's human. Like, but when you make a mistake and delete the tweet, like, I don't know what you're talking about. That are like, okay, well now what else are you hiding? Like if you're, willing to, <laughs> if you're willing no, exactly. to, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let's get into it a little bit. Um, Ian, last year, I distinctly remember you coming on to my previous project and uh, yeah. just letting us know that Drake Batherson appeared to be far better uh, in your eyes from training camp. So let's start things off with asking you who's caught your eye this year in training camp. Uh, Brady Kachuk. I'm not going to lie to you. He looks, oh, sorry, is that too soon? That's too soon. Okay. Um, you know what? Oh, it, no. it, it's, it's interesting because the guy I would immediately say is Formington. Um, I, but I've always felt like he's got that world-class speed. Like I'd love to see him in a third line role. I don't know. Once Brady comes back, I feel like it's Brady and Stutzla one, two on the, on the left wing. And I like conformanton be the third line left winger. I don't know. Like, but I'd love to see it. Like there's something about him that I love. Like, I, I don't know yet. Like I'd, I want to see it play out this year. Then I feel comfortable making a determination if he's got 20 goal potential, but I kind of feel like all the elements are there. Like, and, and maybe he's going to be Ryan Dezingle, uh 2.0. Ryan had at least one 20 goal year. Um, but that's the guy I look at in camp. I'm like, you know what? I really like his game. Like Timmy Stutzla, to me, it's funny. In the practices and in some of the scrimmages, I think he's looked really good. In the games, he's looked a little sloppy to me. Um, so that's the part I'm having a hard time reconciling in my mind. Like, which Timmy Stutzler are we going to see? But I, I think he's going to have a wonderful uh, season. Like, I think 20 to 25 goals is within Stutzler's um, realm. But if you're looking for more of a kind of, like, who could be Drake Batherson this year? Like, Formington would probably be that guy for me. Yeah, fair enough. And and hey, he stretches out a D like nobody else, so. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that. But <laughs> <laughs> so with, with Formington, something I'm curious about, Ian, you, you just mentioned now that you feel he's be, maybe best suited kind of as that third line left winger. And I'm curious how you feel he's fit on that uh, Norris Brady or that well I guess it, it is that Norris Brady line but that Norris Batherson line kind of filling in for Brady and I, I kind of want to get your opinion on that because I know at least um, the game before last when they played together I really felt that the speed element that he brought to it and the way that Drake has continued it seems to make strides and have that speed and now apparently he's leading games and hits I, I'm curious if you feel that that's something that is sustainable and could kind of grow into something is that something that they might have stumbled upon and maybe that works and maybe they try to figure something out where maybe they're Brady or Tim switch to to the right wing. I know that that's that's a lot to throw at you, and there's a lot of hypotheticals in there. But I'm just curious of your opinion of that line. Yeah, and I think what's interesting too is that like we're gonna see on Thursday night when they play. You know, Timmy Stutzla is gonna be in that role with Norris and Batherson, and to me that's that's gonna be interesting because like if you're in DJ Smith's shoes, what do you do on opening night? If and I, I hate that we're even contemplating this. But what do you do if Brady Kachuk's not there on opening night? Um, what's the best way to deploy your six best forwards? And I'm looking at this and I feel like if you put Stutzla with Norris Batherson, is that all of your eggs in one basket? I kind of feel like it is. Like if it were me, I would go opening night because I thought Formington looked really good with Norris and uh, Batherson. I'd go Formington, Norris, Batherson, Stutzla, Pinto, Connor Brown. That's what I would do. But I understand what DJ Smith is saying in maybe putting Nick Paul with, um, you know, uh, Shane Pinto and Connor Brown. He kind of wants, he's called it an identity line. Like, I get it. That's the one guy in all of this, DJ Smith, I feel terrible for because he's ready to go. 
and and I think he's got this program in a really good spot on the ice, but he's going to be potentially shorthanded on opening night. So it's about where can you put the pieces? But I think ideally, at the end of the day, if Formington looks pretty good, I think it does open up a conversation of, and Stutzel would be the guy that maybe you could swing eventually to the right side. That's the guy I think you could play on his off wing more so than Brady. Um, that's the guy who would think, okay, if you want to elevate Formington, maybe shift Stutzel over. Connor Brown moves down to a third-line role with a Nick Paul, and uh, and that looks pretty good too. No, I absolutely love that. I, I feel like Stutzel, especially with the gains he's made in his shot, there it looks like there's so much power there. I feel like a trying to middle on that right wing might be a possibility, but I also know that I think that DJ is a little hesitant to make decisions like that to kind of, he wants to make sure that these young guys succeed. And I also kind of want to give some credit to DJ kind of on that note with Tim Stutzel, because kind of like you said, uh, how, how you felt that he's looked really good in practices and in scrimmages but in the game it it looks like he has a bit of difficulty and in, in my opinion it seems like sometimes he's trying to do too much and it seems like he's really trying to make these fancy plays that we saw him in the Dell do and a, a lot of scouting reports came back saying you know like it, whatever team has this guy is going to need to be patient because he has this creativity and you don't want to kind of take away that creativity. But at the same time, you, you need to make sure that you're not giving up pucks and that you're able to kind of channel that offense and kind of find that fine line and find that balance. So uh, honestly, I, even with him kind of making some slip ups in, in the preseason, I hope that DJ continues to be patient with them. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think most fans are willing to live with, mistakes if they're uh, especially if they're born out of creativity um but there's also the hustle right like we've we, we've lived through it in this market i always i was like i said off the top i was always a big jason spezza fan because i felt like the good outweighed the bad like yeah did jason spezza turn the puck over sure he did but the amount of offense he created i felt mitigated the the mistakes and i think i'm okay with that for the most part i think we have this idea of we want our players to be perfect and just you, you can't have 12 Patrice Bergerons on the ice or 12, you know, Sid Crosby's. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. There, there, there's going to be mistakes that are made. Um, and, and I think with, for me, Timmy suits so like this is, and I don't know how you guys feel, but this to me is the last year where you can maybe talk me into the fact that there's no real playoff expectations on this team, but next year at this time, they, they darn well better be a playoff team or close to it or in the playoff hunt. So this is the year to work out the mistakes and to find your stride and to find your game and to, you know, become a little bit more defensively responsible. So I'm okay if there are some learning curves again for a guy like Stutza, cause he's only 19 years old. Yeah. I kind of draw like a parallel to Eric Carlson's kind of early years. And I know they play a different position, but you know, Carlson, it took him a little while to refine his game and really find that, uh, the defensive side of his game and and with Stutzlots it's, it's i think it's more about decision making but um but the talent is clearly there and like you said it, in practices and those situations that's where you see him really stand out and it hasn't really translated to a game yet but i, I think it'll get there the concept of net positive is something that I think really applies to another player that's in the hunt right now. And we can kind of shift into what's going on on the decor because it looks like there might be eight legitimate options in Ottawa going into the season. And they might very well start with eight players on their roster and just kind of scratching a deep pairing here or there, swapping guys out um, as it kind of comes along. So the, the guy that comes to mind, obviously, is Eric Brandstrom in, in that net positive, because I think we know what he's capable of bringing in a breakout sense, um, kind of what he's able to offer and kind of just that mobility that he really brings to the table. But there's also clearly some lapses and some gaps with Eric Brandstrom. So I'm, I'm curious, obviously, of, of your opinion of Brandstrom and, and what you think kind of the best course of action would be for him this year. I guess I, I keep getting you to put your DJ Smith hat on, yeah. and I apologize for that because that's a tight fit and hat. But with that being said, I, I'm curious of your opinion and as well what you kind of make out of the Del Zotto and Holden, um, like bring, bringing those guys in, the acquisitions, and do you feel that that was a great way to bolster the rest of the decor. Do you think that there's certain guys that, that should be playing? What, what, what are your opinions on all of this in, in a nutshell? Yeah. And it, it, it's a really good topic because there are eight guys you could make a case for. And, and I'm interested too. I don't have cap friendly up on my, uh, my screen, but um, if they don't have Brady Kachuk signed, they might have to carry eight. I could be wrong on that, but 
plus Tyler Ennis to get over the uh, the threshold, right? So there, there's a chance they might have to carry 8D out of out of that. that. That's not something that I think will work long-term. Like Eric Branstrom needs to play. Whether it's here, it's in Belleville, he needs to play. Um, my sense of this is, Vic, like if you had to play a game tonight, Victor Mete is ahead of Branstrom on their depth chart. And, and DJ Smith on Wednesday talked about this, talked about Victor Mete's ability to defend. And I thought this is an interesting comment from the coach. He's going out of his way to talk about Victor Mete defending. And he talked about what small defensemen need to do to defend. And I thought that's interesting because you never hear him talk about the defensive side of the game for Eric Branstrom. So if I was to make a logical kind of con- draw a logical conclusion here, I still feel like the coaching staff doesn't trust Eric Branstrom in his own zone. That's my read on the situation based on the deployment and the ice time and all the stuff that we've seen. So what I do think is fascinating is that DJ is also open to the idea of maybe the second pairing might be Mete and Zaitsev. And it might be right. Like I think basically right now, I think if you're DJ Smith, You've got your top six for, again, this is all predicated on Brady Kachuk, but you've got your top six set. Like, you're, you know your top two lines when Brady is there. And you know what your top D pairing is. And after that, you don't know. It, there's a whole bunch of things that can happen uh, on the bottom six forwards and the bottom four uh, on, on defense. So they have an excess of guys. The only thing I feel confident in saying is on opening night, Shabbat plays, Zub plays, Zaitsev plays, Holden plays, Delzato plays. I think Mete plays. I think he does. So opening night, that's the top six that I see. Eric Brandstrom has the unfortunate uh, designation of being a guy who could be sent to Belleville without clearing waivers. And it's, it's tough, but we lived it with JG Pajot. Like JG Pajot back in whatever, 2014, he deserved to be on this team. And they're like, well, there's just not a spot for you. And the easy thing is to send you down. But what John Gabriel did was he went down. And I remember Luke Richardson telling me all the time, JG Pajot is five foot nine, but he plays like he's nine foot five. Uh, that always stuck with me. And, and Luke was like, at one point, Luke, I think just basically went, he's like, guys, he's too good for this league. Get him out of here. JG Pajot is too good for this league. Get him out. JG Pajot went down, knocked the door down, and basically said, like, I don't care about your depth chart. Like, I am coming up to play. That's what I think they want to see out of Eric Branstrom. They want him to go down, and I think they want Troy Mann to phone them up and be like, this guy's five foot nine, but he's playing like he's nine foot five. That's what they want. And I don't know that they've seen that yet from him. My suspicion would be he goes down to play to start the season, show that he can defend kind of below the faceoff dots, um, you know, Lassie Thompson is going to get some good minutes there. JBD is going to get some good minutes. Um, there's, there's minutes for Brandstrom there too, but that would be my suspicion to start the season. And, and just to add to that quickly, I think, you know, Eric Brandstrom is a real modern day defenseman. So yep. it, it's a little bit differently in terms of, does he sort of fit what the senators are trying to do? Because there isn't a whole lot of a modern element to this team. They're, they're really, building things in sort of an old school kind of mentality kind of way. And maybe when they acquired him, they were thinking a little bit differently, but I think things have, you know, maybe spun in a different direction for the senators. And, and I just kind of wonder if he fits here long-term. It's no different, I guess, in some ways than Logan Brown, like Logan was like, when they drafted him, it was, this guy's going to be silky smooth, legit number one centerman. And then as, as time went on, it's like, this is a, a you know square peg in a round hole. It was never going to work because it just the stylistic discrepancy was too great. And you you bring up an excellent point. Like they want an identity of like kind of being tough to play against. Which I, I'll be honest with you, I actually don't hate it. Like just as long as there's enough talent to get you to the Stanley Cup playoffs and the goal thing, I wouldn't want to see the Ottawa Senators uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like 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 I think every Ottawa's dr- fans' dream would be is if this team as currently constructed could get into a playoff series with Toronto and you've got Formington and Parker Kelly and maybe, you know, down the road, Ridley Gregg, Brady Kachuk, 
and you know maybe Tyler Clevin's there too, and wh- whoever else. I'm like, I don't want to see these guys in a best of seven. Like they're they're gonna they're gonna grind us down, and 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 I think there's enough talent. I I do think there's enough talent there, but you're right. Like I wonder if if, if Brandstrom fits the mold of of kind of what they're they're trying to do. Absolutely. And, and looking at the forward situation, I think heading into the season, there's no shortage of, uh, of firepower up front, but it's, it's kind of youthful firepower at this, at this stage anyway. Uh, so to me, they seem more of like a quick strike offense that, you know, potentially burns teams in transition. Um, but they moved away from Dadnov, uh, whether you liked him or not, he had 13 goals last season. Um, they're without Kachuk for who knows how long. And, and now without Colin White for what seems to be a long-term injury. Um, I think surprisingly last year, the senators weren't all that bad offensively. They finished kind of middle of the pack in goals for shots for, um, do you expect improvement this year Ian, with the same group or do things have to go like perfectly for so many individuals, um, to actually improve upon what they did last season? I think a lot of things have to go right. Uh, Derek, a lot of things have to go right. Like, um, like, we'll know when this is a playoff team when we don't have as many if questions. Like, so if you look at Ottawa and you're like, well, if Matt Murray plays well, and if Thomas Shabbat and Artem Zub are a legitimate top pairing, and if the you know second pairing can be good, and if Brady Kachuk comes back, and if Shane Pinto is a number two center, and if Tim Stutzla uh, takes a, a, you know, a big step forward, yeah, I could see them being a playoff team. What was that? Like six ifs, five ifs? Like that's a lot of ifs. You go to a team like Tampa Bay or Colorado or Toronto, you're like, well, if they stay healthy, they're a playoff team. That's it. That's the if. Like there, there's no, there's no five or six ifs. And that's that's kind of where I feel like where this team is at. They're at the five or six if point, and it's not enough to kind of hang your hat on them being a legitimate playoff team. So I do like, do I think it's possible? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're a fan, you have to allow yourself the possibility to dream that it could happen. Otherwise, why else are you a, why else are you a sports fan if you're not allowed to dream and, 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 and be somewhat optimistic and, and think about everything falling into place? That was the beauty of the Hamburglar run. Like when they told you it was a you know, 0.3% chance of making the playoffs, there was like nine ifs. And guess what? All the ifs hit. And it was like, yeah, that was really fun. And so we love it. I think as sports fans, we love it when all the ifs turn into, yes, that happened. And then, so you should allow yourself the opportunity, like be optimistic. I think it's important that for this fan base, you need to feel some, uh, you, you need to feel some positivity. I think it's been a really tough go to be an Ottawa fan the last three or four years. And, you know, to kind of be told back in the, in the training camp that your best player or your best forward's not here. And the analytics models are like, uh, looking like bottom five and everything's looking bad. Like you don't need to hear that. Like it, we know how it could play out. Like, Hey, we've seen the movie, like the last three or four years, we've seen the movie. We're, we're looking for a, a different movie in this market. So I'm okay. If, if fans want to be optimistic, I just think this fan base is so realistic. Like I think the fans here are, are able to understand that this is probably not a playoff team and that probably, you know, cutting down the goals against and increasing the goals for may not happen this year, but, You'll excuse them if they want to be positive for like a four or five weeks here in October before maybe reality sets in. I think I think that's an incredible answer. Like I, I really like that concept of the five ifs and the the six ifs, and I think that that's kind of where this team is unfortunately still at is, is they really need to answer those questions before they can even kind of figure out exactly what they need to address and okay what exactly is Drake Batherson what exactly is Brady Kachuk is Shane Pinto a, a number two center and there, there is a lot of questions surrounding that and one thing that genuinely surprised me regarding this offseason is the quietness in, requ- in acquiring a top six center or right yeah. wing or even a fringe top six center or right wing because there might be some guys that get brought in that were like oh is, is he a top six center or right wing? So it, it truly seemed like the team was after one of these two positions or, or a player that could potentially play either, um, given the press conferences that were both held by Melnick and Dorian. And I'm curious if you feel that there's a specific reason why the Sens didn't end up going this route. Is it possible that maybe the prices were too high? I know personally, I feel like what 
the Habs had to give up to get Christian Dvorak was a little bit ridiculous. So I don't know if maybe it was that they were knocking on team stores, but just the price tag was too much. Do you think that they thought, okay, maybe we should wait it out and see if some of these ifs get answered? Maybe the emergence of some guys would uh, allow them to opt out of this quest. What, what What's your take on that? It, it It's a great question because if you had told me, and I know Eugene Melnick went on the, the Bob McCowan podcast in May, then Pierre Dorian kind of spoke to the media a couple of times in July. So let's say if you took me to the middle of July and said, hey, uh, we're going to get to October, the, the first week of October, and the Senators aren't going to have added a top six forward. Um, would you believe it? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what happened? Like, that was the plan, right? Like, like we're not making it up. Like, that was the plan. Like, so um, I don't know what to say other than I guess – there is an element, I'll leave it open a little bit of a door here. And I think as, as media and fans last year, what's the one thing we were screaming from the hilltops in January and February? Play the kids, play the kids, right? So now all of a sudden in the offseason, all of us, the play the kids crowd, we're like, out of veteran, out of veteran. Like, and it's like, okay, well, which is it, right? And we're like, well, can it be both? Like, so I think what is happening here is maybe – Maybe this is the wish that we had in January was like, they should have just played, you know, Norris and Batherson and Kachuk. That should have been the first line all along. And they should have played Artem Zub. And they should like all this stuff that we kind of learned throughout the course of the season. We're like, they should have learned it right off the hop. So maybe, maybe this year it is Shane Pinto's the number two guy. And maybe they didn't need uh, Adam Henrique or Nazem Kadri or whoever you want to put in there that was rumored the baby be coming. So I, I'll open my mind to that possibility that they just want to hand the keys to the kids. Okay. But that is not the message that was externally um, given to us, right? So if, if there's been, I'm always a big believer too. If you've had a shift in philosophy, that's fine. I, like just because you said something in May doesn't mean you can't change your mind, but at least tell us, tell us that you've changed your mind. It's the same thing with their sort of window for contention. If you go back and read the press conference and the, or the press release from February of 2019, the infamous, you know, we will be all in for five years of unparalleled success, 2021 to 2025. Well, we're in 2021. Now, if you came and told me, hey, pandemic kind of altered some things for us and, you know, we're going to shift the goalpost. Okay, I get it. Like, stuff happens. Like, okay, but just be transparent. I, I think fans crave transparency. And I understand why you can't be transparent on everything. Like if you're going to trade a guy, you're not going to telegraph that to the world, but just be a little bit more transparent. And I think fans would be fans would relatively be uh, happy with the direction of things, but you're right. I thought they would have added a forward by now. They haven't, but I guess maybe there's a chance before the regular season starts that they might go out and do something with a cap crunch team. Well, there you go. There's, there's always irons in the fire with this yeah. franchise and that's what they like to say. But uh, um yeah, uh, moving forward, um, Ian, the, the Sens kind of hit their stride, I guess, late in the season last year. They went 9-2-1 and one down the stretch. Um, but at the same time, they weren't really play playing with any pressure. Um, and you can argue that they were feasting on some injury-riddled teams like the Canucks. Uh, was that a sign of things to come for this group? Or was that more just a sign of a team playing loose? I, again, we're going to get that question answered probably in the first four or five weeks of the season, but where they're a, they're not playing just the Canadian division, but they're also playing at home for like, I don't know if it's nine of 13 to start something like that. Like I think they play like a bunch of home games. If it's not nine of 13, it's something like that. To me, that's going to be the, the real tell on this team. You would have had last change, the ability to manipulate your lineup at home, all the things that you would have said you wanted. Let's see where this team is at after 12 games. And I think we'll have a better idea if the nine, two and one run at the end of the year was a mirage. Was it a, a you know, a, a predictor of things to come? I think we'll know after the first 12 games, like, okay, last 12 games. Awesome. That was great. Give me the first 12 games of this season. It's a great question. And I, I think that's something that we're so eager to see and, or maybe eager not to see, depending on what the result is. But I know watching the preseason, it's it's a question that's definitely in the back of our mind. And is it fool's gold or or what exactly it's going to turn out to? But I think looking at it, it, it is really clear that the team 
has a bright future and there's a lot of kids on it that have a bright future. With that being said, uh, I, I don't think that it would be a proper preseason coverage this year if we didn't dig in a little bit to the stalemate that is currently going on with the Ottawa Senators and Brady Kachuk. So, Ian, I, I know that you probably are, are tired of discussing this. Um, and I, I kind of want to play on your article that you wrote or, or that was published today because yeah. I, I think that it told a really great story of why Brady signing a bridge deal is not necessarily in, in, indicative of him not wanting to be here long term. And I think yeah. that there is a divide that happens really quickly among, okay, are we on the player's side here? Are we on the franchise's side here? And it, it doesn't maybe necessarily need to be that way. So um, first off, we'll, we'll get into what, what do you expect in terms of length and dollar amount when, when this is ultimately settled. But I also kind of want to get your perspective on why a bridge deal isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, it's uh boy, it's uh it's a tough one. And I, I don't get tired of talking about it because listen, this is what I do for a living and uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do this. So I'm, I'm okay to talk about uh, the, the Kachuk stuff, wherever people run into me. I think it's, it's, it's utterly fascinating. And again, if you would have told me, uh, in June, July, August, I was the guy, if you go back and read my stuff, I was always like, he's going to miss some training camp. Like I was trying to prepare people don't freak out. But now I kind of feel like I'm giving people permission to kind of like, you can go ahead and have a little, like a mini freak out. Like it's October, the, you know, the middle 6th of October, we're a week away from the regular season. He's not signed. Yeah. I think we need to open up our mind to the possibility. He's not going to play opening night. And that's, that's really disappointing. And it's disappointing for the fans. It's disappointing for the organization. It's disappointing for the Kachuk. There's, there's nobody that comes out ahead here. Nobody comes out ahead with Brady missing regular season games. Nobody. So that's really disappointing to me that the fan base would have to potentially go through this. Um, I think in our mind, we thought this is a conversation that we'd be having in 2024 or 2025, maybe after a bridge deal. Oh my gosh, does he want to stay? Do we, can we convince him? Um, look, I'm a believer in bridge deals are okay. Like don't freak out if um, in the next 72 hours, Brady Kachuk signs a three-year deal at, you know, 7 million or whatever it is, seven and a half, whatever the number is. First of all, Another thing I want to hammer home, and I, I left this out of my column, and I guess in hindsight, I always felt like I should have put it in there. I see people quibbling about how much you give Brady Kachuk. You give him eight and a half, that's too much. Folks, this is a floor team. You could give this guy, in theory, $12 million in his bridge deal, and it wouldn't matter. Where it would matter is for his next contract. But, like, for the here and the now, in the year 2021, can we not talk about them being a cap team? Let's just talk about them being a floor team. That's what they are. Let's deal with the reality of the situation. They're a floor team. So I'm not overly concerned about, like, I want to get to a point where we're talking about, oh my God, they're not going to be able to keep everybody. I'm like, okay, great. Let's have that conversation, but we're not there yet. So let's keep the focus on the fact that they need Brady Kachuk signed by opening night to me. They, they do. So if you got to get them in here on a three-year deal, get them in here on a three-year deal. Like, who like what what's the harm? Like, even if you sign into an eight-year deal, and this is the point I tried to make in my column that I hopefully I can kind of uh you know uh, verbalize for your your podcast listeners. If he signs a seven or an eight-year deal today, there's nothing precluding him three years from now, if the direction of this team isn't where he thought it was gonna be, from saying, I'm out, get me somewhere else. And I can't stress that enough because. Every contract, and, and this is what I put in, every single player who has ever signed a long-term contract with the Ottawa Senators has never reached the end of that contract. Now think about that for a second. Eric Carlson, Jason Spezza, Bobby Ryan, Danny Heatley, Mike Fisher. I don't know who else I threw. I think Turris was in there. Uh, maybe MacArthur, whatever. Anybody who's ever signed a five-year contract with the Senators post-lockout has never reached the end of that contract. Think about that. Like we're in such a rush to like, get this guy locked up. Like look at Colin White and where that's headed. Uh, unfortunately, it feels like maybe there's um, not going to be uh, a, a guy that gets to the end of that contract. And I feel terrible because the shoulder injury might push him down that road. I can hear the whispers and they get louder about Thomas Shabbat. Sometimes I don't know. Like this is what happens when you sign an eight-year contract, the pressure ratchets, ratchets itself ratchets i can't even say ratchets is that right ratchets ratchets why does that sound weird 
the pressure ratchets up. I mean, you're the writer. I don't know. I, I used to be on the radio, but apparently not. But but you know you what I mean? You say it like, on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it just feels like you sign these guys' these long-term deals, and at some point, they all ask to get off the ride. And so that's my point. Like, don't just assume because Brady Ch- Kachuk signs for eight years, he's here for eight years. At some point in the first two or three years, there's going to be a checkpoint. So to me, this is a safety mechanism for both sides. Like if you got them for three years, after three years, you're like, okay, maybe this doesn't, it's not working out. And maybe we do have to move them, but don't make the same mistake you made on stone where you sign him to the one year and then he walk out the door. Then we have that discussion in three years from now. But if to me, if in three years from now, you're having the discussion of whether or not this is headed in the right direction, then there's something bigger going on than just Brady Kachak, right? Like that's my issue. Like, so sign him get him in here because it's so important to get him in for now and worry about the long-term stuff in three years from now. And guess what? At that point, you're going to have a better idea of what Tim Stutzla is, or maybe what Jake Sanderson is, and maybe what Josh Norris is and all these things that you don't know about now, maybe you'll know about them then. And I I just want to say on that, like, I, I think that we can look at it from both sides and also say that that's three years where there's an opportunity to prove to Brady that this is a team that is going to be legitimate yep. and go, going to be in contention. And I mean, personally, I believe that, like, I think that they have built the foundation of something that has the potential to be incredible. I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case because you never know. I, I thought that Edmonton would have been incredible by now, given all the picks that they have. And I mean, maybe this year they will be, but with that being said, like I, I just, genuinely think that that three years is kind of like a, a proven opportunity and it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. And I, I really like the idea of him being interested in a bridge deal does not mean that he doesn't want to be in Ottawa. And I know right. that there's been a lot of links to being a best man without a shirt at Mark Stone's wedding or whatever it might be. And there's a lot of hard feelings that comes up or come up because we're, we're an emotional fan base. And I, I think that one thing that we need to kind of keep in mind is that the Sens have done a lot of things to make Brady want to stay here. And yep. Brady hasn't really come out and proven for any reason that he doesn't want to be here. Like there, there really isn't right. a lot to go on that ground. So it's one of those things where I think that it, it's easy to overthink things, especially when there's a lot of things that have gone on in the past and a lot of things that come to mind, but it's just one of those things where if this was another fan, a franchise, th- this, th- this mindset wouldn't be happening. We wouldn't be going down these, these roles and these rabbit ho- uh, holes. And um, I'm sure there's some, some element of truth to it. And like some element uh, of a, a justification of being worried. But at the same time, I, I think that sometimes we kind of just have to see it at face value and accept, accept what it is. Yeah. And, and that's important. Like Brady Kachuk loves his teammates. I think he loves playing for DJ Smith. And I think he loves the city. Like it's like, there's nothing here to suggest he doesn't want to be here, but I will also point out that if at some point down the road, he does, it's his dream to play with his brother or to play in his hometown. Like we can't, we can't hold that against him because um, just take yourself back to when you were uh, nine or 10 years old. Like maybe the, I don't know, like maybe these guys had bunk beds and they were like with like, you know, under the covers with flashlights, like, Oh man, would it be cool if we played in the NHL one day? Like, I don't know what kind of brotherly bond they have, but it sure as heck seems like it's pretty strong. And who am I to sit here and, 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 you know, if somebody's dream was to play in their hometown and play with their brother, boy, I don't know. That's a pretty cool story to me. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, it's not a slap in our face. Um, Hey, listen, you're a, an athlete that only has a certain amount of control over your career. And to me, signing a bridge deal gives you the most amount of control. Like, like don't look, I guess my point is Ottawa fans. This is, this has never been about you. Like no one ever feel like the guys love playing here. People love the city. They do. They love, like I talk to players all the time and they tell me how much they love the fa- because the fans in this market are respectful when they're out for dinner. They're really like, and the, the you know, it's the perfect market. Like it's, it, there's enough media pressure where you feel it, but there's not enough where it's like a Montreal or a Toronto. So I just think that the people need to understand that sometimes athletes also have their own plans. And I hope that Brady Kachuk plays his entire career here, but if he doesn't, I'm not going to look at it and say like that guy didn't want to be here. And you know, 
maybe that guy did want to play with his brother. And like, who am I to say that that's, that's selfish? Like, wouldn't that be cool? I don't know what, if you guys have siblings or whatever, but like, that'd be pretty cool to, to, to be able to, to play with your sibling at the NHL level. And that's what they want to do in their hometown because their mom and dad think that would be great. Man, putting your family, like, I'll say this, putting your family first, you'll never make the wrong decision. That's all. So there you go. You, you heard it here first. Ian is saying that Brady Kachuk wants to go to St. Louis. That's right. <laughs> I don't even know that. I'm just saying for the people who no. have that theory. But it's like Austin, like us Leafs fans are like, Austin Matthews is going to go to Arizona. Well, okay, maybe he will, but maybe that's his dream. You know, yeah. what we need to do is we need to start making it the dream of people to play for the Ottawa Senators, right? Like people who grew up in Ottawa, make it so that, you know, when you get a, a 18, 19 year old kid who's drafted, he's from Ottawa, be like, yeah, you know, my dream is to, my dream is to play for the Ottawa Senators. Like that's, that's what we want. Maybe Brent Clark's going to be coming here in six, seven years. There we years go. That, actually, he did be, right? Didn't, he, didn't Brent Clark, he grew up a Senators fan. Yeah. Massive Eric Carlson fan and he Big, plays his yeah. game totally. very close to him. So yeah. All right, Brennan, let's get into the last line of questions here. Just get into the speed round to send Ian away. All right. All right, All right Ian. We got we left the best for last. So r- right off the bat, opening up the speed round, who is the best golfer? Brent Wallace, Mark Mathot, James Duthie, or Ian Mendez? I've never golfed with Duthie, although I've watched him in those. Uh, it's certainly not me. Uh, Brent, if funny enough, I played... W- Simmer and I played against Wally and Meth, and there was the first match we played, Wally carried Mathot, for sure. In fact, Brent would tell you that's how it works on the podcast. I was going to say, just like the show, right? Yeah, but I think Meth, like, the thing that is really humbling about playing golf with Mark Mathot, sometimes he'll just, like, just drive the ball 300 yards, like, or, like, you know, and or, like, have a, you know, an iron and hit it, like, 280, and you're like, oh. Is that your nine? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, meanwhile, you got your driver out and he's, you know, hitting a, you know, five iron or something. And he's, he's got you by a hundred yards or whatever it is. Like, so he is, you can see it because he's only played for a couple of years and, but you can see it like, let me put it this way in three years from now, Mark, but thought will unequivocally be the best golfer out of that group. He just has the natural, uh, the talent and he just doesn't play enough because his kids are too young. But right now it's you. No, I said I'm, I'm fourth on that list. <laughs> I would even see Duffy, but you're fourth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the over-under 82 points this season for the Ottawa Senators? You take in the over or the under on that? Oh, man, that feels like it's right on the line. That feels like it might be a push. Like, you know what? I Earlier I preached some optimism, so I can't I can't come on here and, uh, and, and all of a sudden tell you, you know what? Give me the over. I, it may not be by much, but I'd like, and I, and maybe that's just wishful thinking. I just, I want it so badly for this fan base. I want this to be like kind of a playoff team. So, you know what, this is probably stupid optimism or wishful thinking, but yeah, give me the over. I like that. We're, we're probably going to be over 500 then. Yeah. So who gets, I, I love this question. Who gets more wins this season? Gustafsson or Forsberg? For, is that for how we pronounce the it, Ottawa Senators. Gustafsson? Is that how I was, am I, am I butchering it? I just, I thought it was Philip Gustafson. That's probably how you say it. I, I just call him Gus the boss. I, I, <laughs> I <didn't know. laughs> so never actually call him by his real name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the options are sort of Gustafson or Forsberg? Gus, Gustafson or Forsberg. Okay. Yeah. Or well, Gust- uh, <laughs> Gustafson. Now that uh, you have the proper name and this is for Ottawa, just so you don't kind of go down. Uh, you don't get that option. You can say Gus, but in Belleville. Okay. Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. You know what? I'll say Anton Forsberg because I think plan A is Forsberg and Matt Murray are here. And unless there's a rash of injuries, I think they want to keep Gus down for a full year. But I mean, DJ won't be hesitant. If DJ Smith had to go to Gustafson, he would. But I I just think that Anton Forsberg is the perfect stopgap. He's been really reliable for them. So I'll say like, I could see Gustafson winning like, or sorry, uh, Forsberg winning like, you know, 10 or 12 games this year. And I, yeah. So I'll say, I'll say Forsberg. All right. I got a special teams one for you. Um, over under 20% on the power play and then also over under 80% on the PK. So okay. again, kind of right on that line. 
okay, under on the power play until they consistently show me they can. Like, I got fooled last year. Like, start of the season last year, I'm like, this power play is going to be better simply because it can't be worse than the year before. Then it was like, ah, it's kind of the same thing, right? So mm-hmm. I think they were clicking at one point, like at 14% again for a good chunk of last year. So I'm in that mode. I'm like, okay, until I see it, I'm not going to buy into it. But I do like the penalty kill. I like the fact that Alex Formanton puts opposing defenders on their heels a little bit. I think Nick Paul and Connor Brown are extremely intelligent players that can really think the game. I think you'll see Shane Pinto killing some penalties too. So I like their penalty kill groupings as they they stand right now. You'll probably see uh, Tierney might kill some penalties too. But I like what they do. I think they they did enough to create some shorthanded chances last year. I don't mind them going over 80%. A lot of it will be predicated on the goaltending too. But um, I like, if you're asking me which is more likely, I think it's more likely that the penalty kill is over 80 than the, than the power play is over 20. Fair. All right, so the last one is, is the best one. And I'm curious, do you think that Brady signs closer to the first regular season game, which I believe is October 13th or December 1st, which oh is my the... God. No, I don't like this question. I don't like this question at all. I'm going to have to say the first game of the right. Guys, if we are having this conversation and it's like the middle of November, like this isn't right. Like then, then it's off the rails. It's off the rails. I don't think it's off the rails. And I, I'm going to be an eternal optimist here. And I'm going to like, I still am holding out hope that he signs and he plays on opening night, but I, I just can't see a scenario where it's beneficial for both parties to get into like middle or late October and he's not signed. So yeah, I will say he signs at the beginning of the year. And I'd like to think that if he's going to miss some regular season games, I like to think you can count those on one hand. Love the optimism. And yeah, hopefully we don't, we don't get into a William Nylander type situation here because he, that was a brutal year for him. Like you could just tell that he was never really quite brought up to speed. So yeah, and it, and it hurt his perception with the fan base too, right? There was people that felt like Willie held out and he, you know, so anyway, so I, I just don't want that. I just don't want that for the fans. That's all. Like, I just look at this from a fan's perspective and the season ended with so much promise. I just, I just wanted to end, start with, I hate that it's this dark cloud hanging over. So I'd love it. I'd love it if it's uh if it's a done deal by, uh, by opening night. Awesome. Well, Thank you, Ian, so much for coming on the show. We we genuinely appreciate it and keep up the amazing work at The Athletic. I know I, I don't need to tell any of our listeners to tune into your stuff because I'm sure if they're looking at us, it's because they ran out of your content to, <laughs> to consume. So genuinely, thank you so much for coming on. We hope that you you really enjoy the season and uh, ho- hope to connect with you again soon in the near future. Well, listen, uh, Brennan and, and Derek, I, I always appreciate, I appreciate the texts you guys uh, send me from, uh, from time to time. And uh, I you know, listen, I, I'd love to come back on, on the condition that Jack is not part of the podcast. Cause I felt like this just flowed. Let me make sure you cut this audio clip for him and send it to him. It says, Ian will only come on if Jack is not part of it. I, 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 I love, I love connecting with all, all three of you guys. You guys are great. And I think you're a great representation of that kind of youthful, uh, energy around this, uh, franchise. And it's, uh, listen, I, I really appreciate, uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, having me on here.